Hey, let's center ourselves around these words. Here am I. today comes from Isaiah chapter 6. Okay. So, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He was seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the whole temple. Above him were two seraphs, each with six wings. So with two wings, they covered their faces. And with two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. So at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe is me, I cried. I'm ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. So then one of the seraphs flew to me, and he had a live coal in his hand which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth. And he said, see, this has touched your lips, so your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. Troy, uh, along with Ashley, I get to be one of our co-lead pastors here. Good morning, glad you're with us. Um, I, uh, I'm going to do something this morning that's a little different for me in this sort of space. I've come up here with a single piece of paper, right, um, with little arrows and little phrases and notes, um, which makes me feel like I need to run immediately to the bathroom. Um, and I'm doing that on, on purpose because we're in this series that we're calling Things We Wanted to Say. 
And this, uh, just as a reminder, this has been this batch of teachings that for us, we, well, we realized we needed to create some space for some standalone sermons. Because around here, uh, the, our teaching team, we're constantly coming up with ideas and we're putting things in front of one another. We're in meetings where we're talking about things and we have this collective sense, well, that needs to be a Sunday. And yet, there's not spaces for it. Sometimes it would feel really awkward to just drop that into the middle of a series or to hijack an entire series for one idea. And so we decided during the month of February, we're going to create space for us to be able to talk about some of the things that have been churning inside of us. And this is something that, I, frankly, I've wanted to talk about for a long time. And this in particular came up in December with a small meeting that we had here where the, a handful of people just sort of affirmed we should talk about this on a full Sunday. This shouldn't just be for our pastoral staff to think about. Our whole church probably benefits from this. And so I set out to prepare this sermon like I always do. And the whole time it sounded like a speech. It sounded like a defense. And I decided, I, I think maybe I just want to talk to you with a bunch of slides. <laughs> so it is a presentation still, but I just wanted to be f away from getting all the words exactly right and hopefully give you a glimpse of my heart and one of the reasons why I'm so excited for us to talk about this particular thing, okay? Great. I have one core conviction that I'm going to put in front of you, which is the thing that's casting its shadow over this entire morning. And Delwyn's already hinted at it um, and what the, all the things I'm going to say. And it's this. I want you to, and I'm going to use a lot of royal we, and I've represented our staff a lot lately without their permission, but I'm going to do it again <laughs> because I believe this is, represents everybody. We at Marceau Bible Church have this as a driving core conviction. God is alive. Amen. And God is active. And God is to be encountered when we gather together to worship. That's it. That's my sermon. I believe this so deeply. This, in fact, this makes sense of everything I'm going to say from, from now on. But it also makes sense of the way that I've chosen to live my life. It makes sense of the fact that I'm still working here. It makes sense of the, the idea that I can't, I have no imagination for another job than the one that I'm doing because I believe so deeply that God is alive, God is active, and God is to be encountered when we gather to worship. I'm glad to see a lot of head nods. <laughs> Thank you. I will say this though, I'm bringing it up because I have some suspicions, and it may not be true for the people who are in this room or who are watching us online, but there is a sort of growing a couple of trends around this driving conviction that makes it so that I feel like I have to say it out loud. And the first suspicion is this, for some people, they just simply don't believe that that is true. Or maybe not as, uh, as stark as that, they just don't ever think about it. They show up weekly without actually believing or considering that they may encounter God. Because I want, I want to stress this, this is not a metaphor. I mean literally that God is alive and to be encountered. 
This is not some sort of word picture. I mean it literally. And I think for some, that idea, that driving conviction, they just don't believe that it's true. Or they don't want it to be true. Because if it is true, that could possibly upend everything. That could change everything. If you really believed that when you walked into this space and a group of people set their aspirations and their energies toward encountering God and believing that God chooses to be encountered by his people, that would have massive consequences. And so for some of us, we don't want it to be true because that could mean something serious. I'm interested in our church grabbing a hold of this conviction and living into it as faithfully as we can week after week after week. I'm interested in our, I'm, not, I'm talking specifically about when we show up here, and I'll be talking tonight when we show up in Grand Rapids, when we are together for us to seek a renewed conviction around this. That our church would rally once again around this conviction that God is alive and active and to be encountered when we gather to worship. Um... That's part one. Part two. This is rooted um, not just in my own sort of sneaky suspicions or feelings. I think we find this, uh, it is confirmed in the biblical text. So I want to look at a couple of things. And I want to demonstrate for you um, what drives this conviction. Uh, We see throughout the Bible a consistent interaction of God and his people that... uh, looks like this, revelation and response. Revelation and response. This is a normative pattern of God interacting with people throughout all of the Bible. We're going to take a peek at a couple of things here. But what happens in this is, this is what confirms for us this truth, that worship is a dialogue. That when we come together, God reveals to us And we respond, and it's this consistent, repeating pattern as we're together. God reveals a truth to us, and we find an appropriate way to respond to that particular truth. And then God reveals more to us, because God is not interested in withholding from his people. God wants us to be enlightened and to see the truth. And so I I believe that God, as we encounter him, says, "Uh, here. Here's a glimpse. Here's something for you. And then we do our best to respond to that appropriate revelation. It's a pattern throughout the Bible. You heard a little bit of it today. Um, do I, I have a quote here, don't I? Oh, yeah. Uh, this is why I should write things down. Um, theologian Russell Mittman says it like this. And when he's talking about worship, is that um, it's God's conversation with the people of God and it's the community's conversation with the divine communicator. This is the revelation and response. This is worship as a dialogue. This is God revealing in us doing our best to respond to the revelation. A couple of glimpses in the Bible. 
You heard a bit of it from Trace today. Isaiah chapter 6. God reveals through a vision. It's a strange one, but it reveals through a vision, reveals a truth. And Isaiah's response to that particular truth is, I am undone. I can't stand here in the face of that revealed truth without recognizing that I am a man of unclean lips. Notice, by the way, of these next couple of slides as I'm pointing these things out, notice the variation in responses, that the response is not always the same. Okay, so he begins that way, and then we keep going, and then there's a coal that shows up, and a question, who can I send? And Isaiah's response to these revelations that one, your guilt has been removed, and second, I am looking for a person, for a people to go and to carry this revelation outside of this throne room to more and more and more people. These truths are, are revealed and the response is, here I am, send me. Let me give you a couple more. Towards the beginning of the Bible, Exodus chapter 3, Moses. God reveals a truth to Moses through another unusual reality, through a burning bush. And Moses is curious. This is another potential response. I need to go and see what this is all about. There's a truth being revealed, and I I need to check it out. I need to to lean in and, and see what this means. And a voice speaks, says, I have heard and I have seen. I've heard the cries of my people. I have seen that they're being mistreated. I, the Lord, I plan to do something about this. And then we get this, another potential response. We get a whole litany of moments where Moses goes, yeah, but what about? I mean, I'm a pretty mediocre talker. Or nobody's going to actually let me into Pharaoh's presence. Yeah, but what about, what about, what about? And what I love about this section is it's a picture of the dialogue. It's a picture of the, of God and people in a kind of conversation. In the New Testament, we go to Luke chapter one, and an angel appears to a woman named Mary. And the angel says, uh, I've got something for you, right? Okay, Mary, when she sees the angel, she's troubled and she's worried. And that's an appropriate response to a revealed truth. There will probably be times when we see or hear or come to face something and we would say, that does something inside of me. That's shaking things up. And then the angel says, well, don't, don't be afraid right? Don't be afraid. Here's the news that I have to give you. You're going to have a child. And this good news to all the world is going to come through you. And Mary's response is, well, there's this one little thing though, right? How can this possibly be? This seems impossible. What about the practicalities of this? How can this be? And again, I'm grateful that the Bible is full of images and pictures of God's people wanting to be in conversation. Help me understand. This doesn't seem to make any sense 
to me. How can this possibly be? And then the angel finally says, there's going to be a power that will overshadow you. And Mary, the first of all disciples, says yes to the invitation and says, I'm the Lord's servant. I don't have it all figured out, but I trust that this power will lead me and will do in and through me what is being promised. So there's this normative pattern. These are just three little examples. But this normative pattern of God revealing and humans responding. Giving us this picture and a reminder throughout the biblical text that we believe remains true for us that God is active, alive, and to be encountered. Third thing I want to say. We structure our... Is everybody okay? Great. We structure our liturgical services to mirror this biblical pattern. If you've ever wondered, why do we do all the different things that we do in our services? I want to pull the curtain back a little bit here and give you a little glimpse. And it's because of this fundamental conviction. Uh, It's because we understand interaction with God looking like revelation and response. So we begin each week with a call to worship. God saying to us, I invite you to come to me. And in light of that, uh, that invitation, that revealed truth, then we respond by accepting, by entering in. We say yes to the invitation and we join in together. We sing. God reveals to us while we sing. It's not just us saying stuff to God. God is speaking to us even during those things, while we're singing, during those songs. And so truth is being revealed to us, and we do our best to praise. And that happens throughout the whole service, right? We come to pray. When we come to pray, I think a couple things are, we're reminded of, a couple truths revealed. Like what we saw in Moses in Exodus 3, God says, I have heard and I have seen. I am not unaware of what is happening in you, among you, in, our, in, in this world that I love. And it's another reminder that you, as a people of God, are called to intercede for one another. That you are a kingdom of priests, and that part of the ministry that's been given to us is to hold the world before the Lord and to pray for it. And so we do that. We do our best to intercede. This truth is revealed. We do our best to respond. A couple minutes ago, Ashley reminded us these words that Jesus spoke. My peace I leave with you. In John, uh, I think it's, it's 19 or 20. Um, after his resurrection, when he first appears to the disciples, what are the first words that he says to the disciples? Peace. The early church clung to this greeting, to this truth. They clung to that, and so they were desperate every single week to remind one another, Jesus left us. Jesus promised us peace. The only proper response to that is to share it with as many people as we can. So we take time to remind one another of this wonderful truth, this truth revealed to us that we are eager to share. We come to our teaching text, God speaking to us through the word. And every single time we finish that, what is our response? Thanks be to God. We're grateful for another revelation of truth. We come to the sermon. I have a lot of hesitation to say that God speaks through what is going on right now. Because it feels very pat yourself on the back kind of thing. However... (laughs) That certainly has been my experience when other people are talking. 
And so I believe that God speaks and reveals during that sermon. And what do we do? We do our best to come out of this and we feast. We feast not only on the meal that's to come, but we feast on the bread that is given to us in the word. We feast on whatever croutons and and, uh, crumbles were given during this particular moment and say, I want all that you have to give to me. Whatever it is that you want to reveal in this particular moment, I, I choose to feast on that. And we come to the table and we receive at the Eucharist. Hey, I'll tell you, one of the reasons why I'm eager to get back um, uh, to normal sort of patterns in the world is at the Eucharist. I'm eager for us to have the opportunity to serve you the Eucharist elements. Because there is something about coming forward and someone giving to you and your posture being, I receive, rather than I drive by and take on my way to something else. I'm eager for us to literally have the opportunity to receive these elements, the spirit with which this is given to us. But we come to that table and we receive what God has to give to us in the form of spiritual food, in the form of the reminders of his great love for us. And then we receive a benediction. And we take those words, we take the truth revealed there, and we go. Our response is to go to love and to serve the world, love, love and serve the Lord for the sake of the world. Do you see the repeating pattern in our liturgy of revelation and response? We're not just throwing a bunch of things out. There's a deep conviction around all of the beats of our liturgy because we believe it, we keep circling back to, and we trust that God is in dialogue with his people. This is a wonderful thing we get to enter into. Is that helpful? Bob Weber was a key mentor of mine uh, when he was alive, and my, I was living in Chicago, and Bob wrote this once. As it relates to worship, uh, he said that what lies at the heart of worship is God's continual movement toward the peoples of, God, of the world and the continual response of the people of God in faith and obedience. There's this cycle, this continual pattern of God revealing in us doing our bevel best to respond to that revealed truth. I'm going to leave you with three encouragements. And uh, these are things that I'm praying for our church as it relates to our worshiping life. In light of this core conviction, in light of this model, in light of this, uh, this pattern throughout the scripture, and I think true in our liturgy. Just three things that I would want to put in front of us. The first would be this. I'm praying for, and I encourage you to live into increased expectations. What do you think is going to happen when you show up here on a Sunday? Is the highest possibility a sermon that keeps me awake? Is the highest possibility a song that you could actually sing along with? Is the highest possibility not that person coming over to talk to me during passing of the peace? 
What are your expectations? Do you actually believe and look for an encounter with the living God? Are you showing up expecting that everything could get turned upside down? Are you showing up expecting that God will speak specific and particular truth to you in your life and inviting you to respond to that truth? Do you imagine the living God desiring to be in conversation with you? I want to encourage our church to have increased expectations when we come. I think about um, in her wonderful book, Teaching a Stone to Talk, Annie Dillard has a kind of seething criticism of church services. Uh, but I think, I think she's pointing to something in a winsome way, and uh, I absolutely love this little quote. She says this, does anyone have the foggiest idea what sort of power we so blithely invoke? Or, as I suspect, does no one actually believe a word of it? She's saying, do we know when we come here and we say, our Father, do we know what we're saying? When we say, um, Holy Spirit, come, do we know what kind of power we are invoking in that sort of moment? She goes on to say this, it is madness to wear ladies' straw hats and velvet hats to church. We should all be wearing crash helmets. Ushers should issue life preservers and signal flares. They should lash us to our chairs. And then she says, for the sleeping God may wake someday and take offense, or the waking God may draw us out to where we can never return. Do you have an expectation that you're encountering power when you come together? Do you have an expectation that you may very well be in conversation with the creator of everything? What might it look like for us to have a renewed set of expectations when we come together? Second, I'd love to encourage intentional participation. As I was running through those, uh, those, those texts, I, I, again, I was trying to draw your attention to the variety of responses. We want to be a church that says we believe God is active and alive and encountering us when we gather, but it's potentially different for every single one of us how you need to respond to that power. And we want this to be a place of freedom. For some of you, you continually wonder, is my physical expression allowed here? And I want to say yes. And some of you are wondering, am I being strong-armed to practicing a particular kind of physical expression? And I want to say no. That the, but what we're looking for is intentionality in your participation. This is not a one-way conversation. You are not a, a passive recipient of whatever the person wearing the microphone has to say. We are structuring, how have you seen? We are structuring our liturgy to promote conversation with God. Um, 
Here's your Maggie moment, my daughter Maggie moment of the sermon, the obligatory Maggie moment. She's been doing this thing recently, which is adorable, um, but also needs some quick correction. Um, we're driving in the car, and she asks for a snack. And um, so I'm doing my best to reach back. This happened just a couple of days ago. And I reach back and I hand it to her, and she goes, Thank you, you're welcome. And I think it's hilarious. It's a very, those are good. Those are good. Uh, but what I want to say to her is, my darling, you're not responsible for both sides of the conversation. <laughs> you don't always have to. <laughs> you do, I'm here. <laughs> uh, I can provide half of this, right? I think here she is trying to attack a butterfly, by the way. Um, I want to say to our church, you are not responsible for both sides of the conversation. I think for many of us, we're accustomed um, to worship services that are like, we have to do all the work. We have to say everything. Or you have this expectation that you just sit and you take whatever is being told to you. We're interested in promoting spaces for conversation. We want there to be opportunities that we hear from God. And we want there to be spaces where we do our best to respond to God intentionally. I'm calling on us to be a church that is quick and intentional about our participation. Finally, um, I'll say this. I'm encouraging pastoral accountability. I've said these things to you now, and I think you should hold us to it. It's like the secret's been let out. And if we don't now live into this, there's a problem. So I'm asking you, hold us accountable. If we have services that don't provide space, spaces to listen, or spaces for participation, that's a problem. We need you to hold us accountable. If our services are not saturated, if uh, <clears throat> I thought I was going to make it <laughs> my dear friend Kent Walters over here uh, who's a, a wonderful friend and mentor um, he consistently uses the, the phrase uh, that our services need to be saturated with scripture if we're not doing that, if we're not saturating the times that we have together with this word that reveals to us, that, that this word that helps us to hear the voice in the heart of God, if we're not doing that, there's a problem. I'm asking you, hold us accountable. This is a conversation that we are all interested in having. There are certain things about worship that just feel like a distraction, certain conversations that I'll be, I'll be frank, I'm don't get me excited. This is one that I will have every time. If you have a sense that our services are not allowing adequate space for revelation and adequate space for response, we need to know about that. Hold us accountable. Hold this church accountable to be a place that promotes worship as a dialogue. Would you do that, please? Thank you, Delwyn.
we're going we're gonna to come to the table here. And I hope that for these next handful of minutes, you will notice and you will pay attention and you will be on the lookout for this pattern of revelation and response. But we're going to be invited here in a second to feast and we're going to be invited to receive from the Lord. And I just want to take another opportunity to say part of what we're doing here in this space when we invite people to pray and to be prayed for, Brian and the team that he leads that are back over on, on this side of the room every single week, this is not like a crisis hotline. This is a moment where we're saying God can speak to us through these prayer partners. And these are prayer partners who help us to enter into a dialogue with God. I just want to continue to normalize that and say this is, when we invite you to pray during these sections, this isn't a, if your life is falling apart and you don't have any other options, go see Brian. This is another moment where we're trying to say this is part of our liturgy that uh, leans into that revelation and response opportunity. And the same thing with the table. Here's what I want to do. I'm going to invite you to, I want to invite you to pray. And I'm just going to invite you to pray uh, silently. Um, and I want to invite you to pray two things. I would love to pray for renewal for our church. Renewal on our worship together. Whatever this has brought up for you. And then I would love for you to pray for your own self. What does it mean for your own self to intentionally participate for an increase in expectation? What might it look like for you individually? And so let's pray together trusting as we do this that God will continue to reveal and trusting it even in the spaces where you don't know what to say that God can speak and so let's pray let's pray for the renewal for our church and then we'll come to the table